Let's start the uh, episode with a review for hepatic segments. What is the function of the right hepatic vein? The right hepatic vein divides the right lobe into anterior and posterior segments. So the anterior segments are 5 and 8. Posterior segments are 6 and 7. The role of middle hepatic vein. The middle hepatic vein divides the liver into the right and left lobes. The portal vein divides the liver into upper and lower segments. So upper lobes are six, sorry, upper lobes are seven and eight, and lower lobes on the right are six and five. Finally, the right and left portal veins branch superiorly and inferiorly, inferiorly uh, projecting to each hepatic segment. Again, the left and right portal veins branch superiorly and inferiorly. Banana sign of pediatric cerebellum. So typically this is a sign seen on ultrasound imaging of the posterior fossa. The typical appearance of the cerebellum on axial slices is like a three, meaning in the middle of two circles there is a peaking in the middle. A banana signs refers to shape of the posterior cerebellum or the sh outer shape of the cerebellum that is shaped like a banana instead of the number three. This is due to tethering of the spine which results in downward migration of the posterior fossa content with obliteration of cisterna magna. Because you lose that cisterna magna in the posterior to the cerebellum, you lose that indentation in the middle of the three, which converts the three into a banana shape. This is seen typically in Chiari mal malformation and is also seen with spina bifida or spinal defect due to cord tethering. This sign, however, disappears at 24 weeks. Again, banana sign describes the external shape of the pediatric cerebellum that is associating with tethering of the cord and typically seen with Chiari 2 malformation. This results from compression of cisterna magna or loss of cisterna magna and flattening of the posterior aspect of the cerebellum, which makes the cerebellum look like a banana instead of a three, or number three. This sign disappears after 24 weeks. What's the key structure to identify on prenatal cardiac ultrasound? Really, the key structure to identify is the moderator band. We said the moderator bands are the hallmark of the right ventricle. When you can define the right ventricle, then you can define the aorta, where it's coming from, and, uh, and be able to assess for normal anatomy. Candy cane view is the view that, uh, you know, profiles the aorta with the supraaortic branches and the descending aorta. Again, that view is called candy cane view. Chaos or congenital high airway obstruction syndrome. This is an in utero high airway obstruction, typically due to laryngeal atresia, cyst, uh, or uh, a web or tracheal web, any, any part of high airway, meaning trachea or above, causes obstruction. It has very characteristic imaging finding in utero. The lungs are overdeveloped and distended and filled with fluid compared to small heart. Because of the distension of the stomach, the mass effect on the IVC obstruct drainage of lymphatic 
and blood from the abdomen, which can result in ascites. So the characteristic imaging feature are brightly or echogenic lung, which is enlarged with large, which is not essential, but large abdominal ascites, chaos, congenital high airway obstruction syndrome. Again, this can be from any reason that would obstruct the airway, including atresia, stenosis, web, or even neck masses. Kesselman disease, otherwise known as angiofollicular lymph node hyperplasia. What this is, is basically a highly vascular, typically thoracic lymph node enlargement of unknown etiology. Can be multicentric. If it is multicentric, it will have B symptoms similar to lymphoma, so fever, anemia, and typically treated with chemotherapy or surgical resection. Again, key imaging finding is highly vascular, so lymphadenopathy. So the lymph nodes would be avidly enhancing on contrasted studies, and if we're doing an ultrasound, it will show Doppler flow through them. Again, Castleman disease, otherwise known as angiofollicular lymph node hyperplasia, just like it sounds angiofollicular, so hypervascular lymph node enlargement. Pulmonary alveolar proteinosis. This is basically filling of the alveoli with proteinaceous lipid-rich material. It presents on CT scan as perihilar ground glass with septal thickening. Ground glass with septal thickening is termed or described as crazy paving. If you have not seen a picture of what crazy paving look like, you should Google it. So again, perihilar ground glass and septal thickening. If you remember, we a couple of episodes ago, we talked about perihilar ground glass opacities and possible consolidation in another uh, disease, which we refer to as PCP or pneumocystic gevirachy. The key differences here is patient is not immunocompromised. They can be, but they're typically not in pulmonary alveolar proteinosis. And there are no cysts. In PCP, cysts are typically present. They don't have to, but they're typically present. And the treatment for pulmonary alveolar proteinosis is not antibiotics. It's bronchoalveolar lavage. Basically, you wash out all this proteinaceous uh, material from the lung. Again, pulmonary alveolar proteinosis, you see alveolar uh, filled with proteinaceous material, and on CT scan, we see perihiral ground glass with septal thickening, giving us the crazy paving pattern. Unlike PCP, there are no cysts, and patient is not immunocompromised. The treatment for PAP is bronchoalveolar lavage. Imaging finding associated with intestinal scleroderma. I want you to think of very, very slow bowel whenever we think of intestinal scleroderma or scleroderma finding associated in the bowel. So in the small bowel, we see marked dilation of the bowel, particularly in the duodenum and jejunum. Again, think that there is a slow transit of content, and because it's really slow, the bowel would have to compensate and it would dilate. Duodenal finding would appear similar as if you have SMA syndrome, so compression of the uh, distal duodenum, which result in dilation of that duodenum. The pathognomonic description for scleroderma in the small bowel is atonic, closely packed, thinfold, and saculations. So atonic, 
because bowel content is not moving with close spaced thin folds and circulation again out pouching because the bowel is really really slow in transmitting material you can have slow transmit of barium if we're doing a barium study up to greater than 24 hours which still remains in the uh, small bowel which is very very slow again to summarize small bowel intestinal scleroderma finding in small bowel we have atonic closely spaced thinfold with saculation. In the colon, we also have saculations, particularly on the borders of the transverse and descending colon. We have loss of haustration. Again, this is because of the distension of the colon, because of the slow motility, and finally, stercoral ulceration. This is ulcerations because of retained fecal material that distends the lumen to the point where it causes ischemia, typically seen in the rectosigmoid colon. Again, colonic findings of scleroderma is saculations, particularly at the border of the transverse and descending colon, loss of haustrations, and stercoral ulceration. What is the pes anserine muscle? Pes anserine muscle are the sortorius gracilis and semitendinosus. The mnemonic for it, I think, is say grace before T. Say is for sortorius, grace for gracilis, and semitendinosus is before T. T, which distinguish from semimembranosis, is semitendinosis. Again, say grace before T, sartorius, gracilis, and semitendinosis muscles. All three muscle inserts on the medial tibia, anterior medial tibia. Again, let's talk about uh, the pes inserin. So, sartorius, gracilis, and semitendinosis, and the mnemonic is say grace before T and these muscles insert on the anterior medial tibia. The semitendinosus is part of two muscles, the semimembranosus, which is not part of the pes inserine, and semimembranosus. The semimembranosus inserts at the medial tibia as well. Semimembranosus, semitendinosus, and biceps femoris make up what is called as the hamstring muscles. So the hamstring muscle of the thigh is composed of semimembranosus, semitendinosus, and biceps femoris. Semimembranosus and semitendinosus inserts on the medial tibia, and biceps femoris inserts laterally on the fibular head. The way to remember them is both semimembranosus and semitendinosus have M in semi, which is medial, and biceps femoris, biceps doesn't have anything. Anyway, biceps femoris inserts laterally, semimembranosus, semitendinosus inserts laterally, uh, medially, and the pes anserine composed of sartorius, gracilis, and semitendinosus. What is the most posterior or dorsal carpal bone on a lateral rest radiograph? It's the triquetrum. Again, the triquetrum is the most dorsal or posterior bone seen on a lateral rest radiograph. They can ask that uh, by showing you a small fragment on the lateral hand radiograph, ask, trying to tell you that this patient has a triquetral fracture. Additionally, it's important to identify lunate or perilunate disarticulation on a lateral wrist radiograph, but we'll talk about this later. Again, most posterior carpal bone on a lateral hand radiograph, and when I say posterior, I mean dorsal, is the triquetrum. A small fragment adjacent to the triquetrum is consistent with triquetral avulsion fracture. 
most anterior or palmar uh, carpal bone is the pisiform. Again, the pisiform is the most anterior or palmar bone of the carpal bones. Okay, we're going to end with this question because it's somewhat complex. The mechanism of GRE MRI sequence. So it captures the T2 star. And when we do that, we're omitting the 180 degree rephasing pulse. So typically, uh, there is a 180 degree rephasing pulse that is omitted or not uh, used when we're getting the GRE sequence. This makes the GRE sequence susceptible to signal loss from magnetic field inhomogeneity. So when the magnetic field inhomogeneous, uh, the GRE is susceptible to this artifact. What we mean by inhomogeneous, meaning we have bone, we have air, we have calcification within soft tissue, uh, we have any abnormal tissue, so air, bone, metal, or any interface uh, differences. So brain to water interface or uh, blood in the brain, this will create a Blumen artifact and it would make small uh, lesion appear more conspicuous and we use this benefit of the GRE sequence when we're looking for blood in the brain because a small amount of blood would appear very bright same thing if we're looking at the liver and we see a surgical clip that would indicate prior cholecystectomy or prior surgery so again uh, the 180 degree rephasing pulse is omitted and this omission makes the GRE field more susceptible to magnetic field inhomogeneity and it creates the Blumen artifact.